We're in a menagerie, a cage. And it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. And joining me, as I always is, is my lovely and talented friend, Dan Davidson. Dan, say hello to the folks. Hello, folks. I always is? Yeah. Oh, it works for me. It's I a, like it. The universal translator. Um, I, also, up there. I also like the biggest little show of the Alpha Quadrant. That's our new tagline, I think. We're going to have to stick with that. Let's go with that. All right. We're doing it. Well, this is episode five of the aforementioned show, and we're excited to be here. Thank you all for listening. Um, this episode's going to be a little different. We've kind of got a two-in-one podcast. Uh, the first part, we're going to talk to our new friend Larry Nemechek, who we're sure you all know from his association with Star Trek over the years. And then we've got a bonus piece, Dan, don't we? Yes, we do. There's a great project out there called uh, Enterprise in Space, uh, and we're going to have the chief engineer of the show, uh, excuse me, of the project, uh, Mr. Fred Becker, is going to join us to talk about the project. Uh, it's really uh, some cool stuff, some real space stuff, and uh, we're looking forward to talking to both guys. It's a pretty fascinating project. We think you'll agree, and that's part of the reason why we're talking about it on the show. We hope you'll all you know, dive deeper on it and learn more and hopefully support the project. So here comes Episode 5 with Larry Nemechek and Fred Becker. Energize. Our guest this week has a long and diverse history in the Trek universe. He's an author, an editor, a writer. He's even done some acting. He's uh, he's making a film. He's even worn Avery Brooks clothes, allegedly. Um, <laughs> certainly anyone who's read The uh, the Communicator or surfed on into Star Trek.com back in its heyday is familiar with his work. For years, I had a very dog-eared copy of his The Star Trek The Next Generation Companion that I referred to constantly in the pre-interwebs yeah. era. <laughs> and if Trek had an oracle at Delphi, it would undoubtedly be this man whom we fondly refer to as Dr. Trek, the uh, lovely and talented Larry Nemechek. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Why, th- why thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't, don't know where that came from. That's, that's, uh, no, thanks, guys. This is great. It's not too bad oh, for just winging fantastic. it on the fly. It's fantastic having you on the show. Uh, as we've gone along over the last couple of months uh, getting uh, uh, more and more used to the podcast, and we're having... Uh, some Did more interesting ones because of your vast knowledge of the uh, of the Star Trek universe, and we're thrilled to have you. Well, good. And the line for the trivia contest starts over here at room two hundred seven. No, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, That's funny. the only thing you risk. It's like I, I have a journalism degree. I have a theater degree. I really do more than sit around and you know. But that's fun to do. That's where the 2 a.m. you know con room party gets. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because occasionally I play stump the geek with Dan and give him impossible trivia questions that he always you know cannot answer. So at that's some point we true. may have to have you. Oh my god, <laughs> boys, boys, now, not not in front of the guests. That's right. Come on now. All right. Well, obviously. Um, <laughs> It's been a rough weekend in the Star Trek universe, Larry. Um, we're just a couple of days removed from the passing of Leonard Nimoy. Um, I know you've been having a lot of conversations with people, and I figured we'd just touch on it briefly. Um, have you had time to process it with all the the interviews and the, the press you've been doing? Well, I mean, I haven't been doing that much. It just feels like it. But, I, I mean, I heard the news. Somebody texted me about it. I was in this – I was in a workshop – 
And we had all had this joke about people getting away from their phones, so everybody had their stuff turned off. And I guess my texting came through, but my friend Lee got through to me and said, it's very sad to hear that about Leonard Nimoy. And I first thing I thought was, oh, what, he had to go back in the hospital again? Right. And then I went, no, that's not what somebody would text about. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I just got up and left the room and went out and then checked and then saw, you know, the world, the, you know, the internet was starting to blow up or melt down or whatever. Um, Friday morning, you know, mid morning here. And, uh, yeah. And, and the, I mean, the fir- very few, st- they talk about, you know, social media and Twitter and, and, you know, like you watch the Jeff Burns documentary and they read those letters from the Civil War soldiers and people say, we're all digital now. We won't have any of that 100 years from now to go back to. So I hope somebody somewhere is preserving all this. But in that kind of thing, those, those early tweets and Facebook posts from people are a great snapshot. And mine, I mean, it was just like coming off the top of my head. And the first thing I thought I said was, uh, this feels just like June 11th, 1999, yeah. when D died. And, of course, that was the character not, – not so much the person I was closest to, but the character. And, and I did have interaction as a professional aside from all the years as, as a fanboy, you know, watching the show. And then it – I mean, but it, before I was even thinking about Spock and Leonard and his life, it was just – I was just processing like the moment, reacting to it like, oh – it's not a surprise. We knew his health was declining. I thought of all the things I didn't do with him <laughs> that I should have been doing over the years. And that may have been a little selfish. I don't know. But um, but just thinking, Dee and Jimmy and, oh, of course, Gene. And then I was thinking as I watched this unroll across the, uh, you know, the cybersphere, um, this is the first time we've had one of the Trek family pass with social media in full bloom. I mean, yeah. Major was in 08. And that was kind of the baby steps of Twitter and Facebook, mm-hmm. and much less Jimmy, and then and then D in '99, and you know much less Gene. So, and I and then I remember thinking, well, thank God this is not. We didn't have social media in '99 because I was processing this and thinking, well, the first thing I said was, D passing hit me like I mean it was really like a gut punch, and and Leonard's it's like um, I said I just feel like the universe has shifted. Yes. I just feel like we've – I just had a shift. I wasn't so much emotional because um, I always loved Spock, but I always thought Kirk and Spock and Shatner and Nimoy got the most attention. So I didn't worry about <laughs> <laughs> about them sitting over in a corner all alone lonely. You right. know? <laughs> but um, as if that was my job. But I, I really did feel like we'd had this paradigm shift in the, in the fabric of space-time and it was just like – you know, I don't know. It's kind of like the difference between your dad dying and the president of the United States being assassinated or something. I don't, I don't know, or the towers coming down or something. I just yeah, really right. felt like it was a moment that the whole world shifted. It's, it's me inter- along with it. It's interesting you say that because I think this is going to hold true for people. I know it is for me. You brought it, you, you talked about the towers, and of course, it's a very different situation. But I think right. for fans of the show and fans of the genre. This is going to be those, in 30 years, I'll be able to tell you where I was and what I was doing when I heard that Leonard passed. Yes. Right. I agree with yeah. that. Well, I know where I was when I heard Deep passed. Yep. We were, I was just about to go into an opening ceremonies at a convention in North Carolina, and my wife was talking, and Janet was there with me because we were co-guests, and she came over to me and she said, we were just about to go in for the opening, so it was like Friday afternoon, and she said, I just wanted you to hear this before we went in, before somebody told you, Carte Blank, but uh, D just died. And I just, I had to go, it was like 15 till the thing was supposed to start. Wow. 
And we were kind of off on our – they were like milling around people. It was like a green room, but it wasn't a room. It was kind of like an outer area. Mm -hmm. And I just had to go sit down. Wow. Yeah. Because <laughs> it really was like a gut punch. No, so I remember – I remember where you – I you know, we were in Oklahoma and I heard it on headline news when Gene died. Yeah. But um, – so yeah, it's different. And it is – it'll be one of those times. And, and that rolled across for me. And I remember somebody – all the social media stuff started happening, and I, at some point I did tweet, and I was like, well, thank, thank goodness we didn't have this in 99 because mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to talk for an hour or two. I can right. process this and you know, love Leonard and love Spock and loved everything he meant for Star Trek. And I think out of all this, so many people have reacted to different things, and then it was kind of like an aha because I, I try to look at things in the big picture a lot. And I remember it's like when 4 came out with Gills, had such a big crossover audience – that 86 was the year that happened. The studio actually started recognizing the anniversaries as something, mm -hmm. you know, yep. bottom line they could make money on. But it was something right. worth promoting. Yep. And they had the big party and they announced finally the comeback of Star Trek to TV with Next Generation all in that same month or two window. And because of all that, Newsweek did a cover story. And of course – and I tweeted this the other day. What was the, what was the cover? The, the title was the you know there was like a little headline at the top or something else, but the main focus of the cover was the headline said the enduring power of Star Trek, and what was the image they had on the front? It was Leonard to Spock. Spock and his, yep. It was Leonard in his maroon, yeah, yeah. his eighties maroon. So it's kind of like you know what better way to say what he epitomized, mm -hmm. you yeah, know, exactly beyond even the role of Spock was all of Star Trek wrapped in him. Yeah. There's all of. Star Trek wrapped up in one package. <laughs> so going I, uh, back to your earliest ahead, fanboy days, um, do you recall the first time you watched Star Trek? We were just talking – speaking of people getting together, so Dave Rossi, who was Rick Berman's assistant yep. and finally got associate producer on Enterprise and lives here in Burbank and still was the only person I know that still works on the lot in something quasi-related to Star Trek. Um, but he uh, – he just and we don't get together that often, but he tweeted out the other night and said, he texted me and said, "Hey, I'm going down to this pub in Burbank at eight o'clock." And this was like six thirty. He says, "You want to come down and lift one to the old man?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, I will." Because up until then, I was like on the dead run in this workshop and then doing stuff and everything, you know, and stuff like we had a we had a, a friend of ours, mother, a married couple we know, and the and the husband's wife, uh, a mother had was old was elderly. But it had died and had a funeral. And I was like at a funeral on Saturday. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, and came out. All this was still going. So it was like really, really a weekend for mortality and thinking, you know, somebody's like near to my own mom's age. And, and Leonard is a year younger than my mom. So it's all this, you know, people are going through all these ripples of all you know, people individually are doing that. But anyway, um, and we did. And, and Darren Doctorman saw it and came over and a couple of other fans and an old friend of mine I hadn't seen in nine months. Um, so yeah, I had a little mo a little local moment there, and we were saying these same things. What was your first episode? For you? And it was really funny when we cleaned up my dad's house after he passed away. I grabbed some of the stuff, and it was just goofy. But I t I took some of my old models. Some of them were like ribbon winners at fairs back when I had the time to do models as you know student high school and college. Right. And um, and I had a couple of T-shirts, and I always loved this. And I blogged about this once. I have my first two Star Trek T-shirts because back in the day, all you could get was 
Kirk, Spock, Kirk and Spock, and the Enterprise. Yeah. Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise. It's like nobody else existed because it was new, and I wanted McCoy, damn it. And <laughs> the only way you could get McCoy, the first generation of shirts that I found looking at the Lincoln, which is Roddenberry.com now, you know, the Lincoln and the Federation. The only way you could get it was one of them had one McCoy in an iron-on decal, and they, it was um, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in Nazi uniforms from – Patterns of force. So my first Star Trek T-shirt, which I have, but it's faded, and my other one, which hasn't faded quite as much, is Spock and McCoy doing the "Well, that hurts worse than the collar" moment with the Vulcan salute outside the shuttle bay doors from Journey to Babel. Babel, yeah. And since I lost my weight the last few years, I could wear it, and I wore my second T-shirt with Spock and McCoy on it to that little drink up. So there's my fanboy cred. How about that? My first episode, I didn't know what I was watching. But it was it wound up being Day of the Dove. I just remember flipping channels. Um, I knew that vaguely there was a show about a guy with pointed ears in space, but I couldn't control our TV when I was a little kid. <laughs> and we watched Lost in Space, and I played robot at, yeah. at school at recess. But in the seventies, even before my ninth grade teacher shamed me and my science teacher shamed me into watching Star Trek because she couldn't believe it that I wasn't. Um, I, the very first time I even vaguely remember watching was the guys walking down the corridor and the floaty ball of energy. Yeah. Life form yeah. going down along behind them, yeah. and you know, and then it was after school reruns, and and then bang. Wow, um, you, you talked about uh, McCoy being your favorite. Um, one of the things that I've enjoyed tremendously is uh, your um, portrayal of Doctor McCoy in Star Trek Continues. Absolutely love it. One of the things that I have enjoyed the most is I was I was just actually rewatching it the other day in Pilgrim of Eternity. The way that you are able to. Uh, channel D, it seemed to me. There was one scene where you're in sick bay and Kirk is talking to you and Spock is talking to you and everybody leaves sick bay and the camera's just on you and you did the perfect McCoy like kind of look in your eye where you kind of looked off in a couple different directions. It was so spot on and it's it's it it you you did a fantastic job as McCoy and I guess my question is what did it mean to you to be able to do that? Well, well, first of all, thank you because I. I uh, I did that on three weeks' notice. It came to me because Chuck Huber, who's now come back to it, uh, wasn't able to do that and didn't know how long, you know, what it would go on or whatever. And um, on three weeks' notice, like right as I was get, getting the nod to start working on stellar cartography, and I was going to devote my entire first four months of the year to the first cool nonfiction we've had, you know, in ten years. Then he calls me and says. Uh, you know, you want to play McCoy in our new bed? I'm like, are you kidding me? When it rains, it pours, really? <laughs> so I was like wiped out the whole time we shot that because I was working at night and doing that. But no, it was it was amazing. And when I got there, I realized, oh my God, the bar here is even higher than I yeah. was expecting. And I'm, you know, the uh, perfectionist in me, I wasn't, I, I was so worried about not doing, you know, not doing my party you know, impersonation for the last 30 years, damn it, Jim. You know, not doing that, that I wanted to be channeling D and channeling the character. And and I feel like I may have pulled back so much on it that I should have let go. So in the second one, there's a lot less McCoy in it, but I, I let go a little more. Yeah. But thank you. I mean, all, everything that I was doing physically um, was, you know, it's like, it's I, you know, like, don't load it up. I, I didn't want to, you know, thankfully they didn't write the script with a, He's dead, Jim, and I'm a doctor, yep. nada, and all yep. that. I, I think the closest to the classic McCoy line was when he says – they ask him how Apollo is or something, and, and McCoy says, uh, well, it's damn peculiar, Jim. <laughs> I mean that was that was yep. one I really felt was kind of like the closest. But 
every, it was so cool getting to do – I mean the first thing we did was the, the MOS, the uh, silent, you know, no talking, uh, the surgery scene with the thing. And I don't know. You know, I have a lot of pride, but I wanted to make sure that – I don't know if everybody's even aware of this, but as a McCoy fan, you can't call yourself a McCoy fan if you don't know what I mean when I talk about the, uh, the med scanner thumb swivel. <laughs> is that a laughter of what the hell is he talking about or is that a laughter of oh my god I know exactly what you're talking about I think it's I think it's more of the first um, just the way it was said kind of struck me a little funny <laughs> okay well here's imagine this is a med scanner and nobody could so it's like when you're the way it's built the way Feinberger and, and the way Matt Jeffries designed it it's like you're scanning and then supposedly and, and he did this because there's nothing really on the bottom of the little med scanner right mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was just it, – I know this either had to be him and the director originally or him and the prop maker or whatever. But he would scan people and then, and then flip it and look at the bottom. Yes. Yes. You know? Yep. And then Franz Joseph Schnaubelt in the tech manual put stuff on the bottom. But the actual prop never had anything. Oh, that's great. But there's a thing. When your thumb is on the thumb switch on the side and you scan, if you do this and plant your fingers, you can take your like middle finger and pivot, pivot it back around and look at the bottom all in one smooth – Huh. All in one smooth, like you're scanning, and then you wait, like you're scanning, and then you go, like your like your thumb is on the switch, and then you go, like that, and read the bottom, and it's all one. Cl- it's kind of like a gunslinger slinging his gun in one slow motion. And if you watch the scene where we save Sulu on the transport, I saved Sulu yes. on the transporter. Yeah. Uh, we got that. In, it was like, are we gonna? I want my. It's like I don't care if it's only my hand in the frame. I just want this in here once to show that I did it. Anyway. That's, oh, that's, no, I, that's I the say, degree of McCoy fandom right there. Yeah. Love, love the job you did in that. that you did, thank you. That's you did a great job. It's really great. Um, Glad Bill. your love continues. So at this point, we're going to bring in um, we're going to bring in Fred Becker um, to talk about Enterprise in Space, a project that Larry's also associated with. Um, Fred, I think it's safe to say that as a sixth grader, you used to engineer starships on paper, and now you're the chief engineer <laughs> of an actual enterprise that's going to be in space. And from what I understand, this orbiter is going to be filled with science experiments. Is that right? It is indeed, yes. Um, uh, as many as we can pack in there um, from students all over the world. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, the, the idea is at least 100, but we'll, you know, depending on the size and all that, mm-hmm. it'll, be, it'll be even more of that. Yeah. Fred, this is Dan. What, did, uh, what actually got you involved in this project and thinking about doing something like this? Was it um, – was Star Trek a, a big part of wanting to do something like this? How did this all come into creation? Oh, yeah. It was just uh, just a huge, great idea. And when I saw the project um, being a combination of space or connecting space with science fiction, those two communities, I just saw the hugeness of this idea, and I just lent my support. Yeah, we and, were both uh, we were both yeah. seduced into the project by a guy named Sean Case. <laughs> yes. Who may, maybe later on you can have on, but yeah. uh, he was a guy. He's a tech guy in Oregon, big fan of many things, mm-hmm. and uh, came up with the idea that there should finally be a real enterprise in space since the shuttle was, you know, not an orbiter; it was a drop test ship. So he yep. kept building up this team, who, people who were sci-fi and especially Star Trek fans, futurists, who also had a hand in, some, you know, either education or. Space and aerospace, or or whatever walk of life, because we're needing everybody to be part of this. Um, and he's grown this team to be this monstrous nonprofit. They've been working for three or four years, and he reached out to me. I don't know. I, I've been involved really. He got to me a year ago to be on the board, 
and then about six months ago to kind of be a spokesman. But when did you? When did Sean seduce you into the light side of the force? Well, I lost. Well, it must have been about uh, one year into the project is when I came across it, and I just hey, this is great. And then he um, got back to me and started. We started talking and everything, and I uh, came on board. So yeah, we're going to like launch a real spacecraft into space that looks like a science fiction spacecraft. This will be the first time this ever happened in history. Wow. So we had, a, we, had a con- we had a contest to design it and had a winner, uh, and it, it's it's going to be called the Enterprise, but not resemble anything from the TV series or movies. But we had a contest, and the National Space Society, which is one of the which is the oldest, like let's get our let's get our butts to space, you know, civilian organizations and lobbying groups. Um, they took it on, so it wouldn't have to be its own independent project under under Sean's own umbrella. So we were real thankful to them last summer for tickets, and and uh, Fred had been part of that group too. So obviously, yeah, the, been part of that. the design's been selected. Um, so when does construction start? That's the next. The next step is we're going through a, a detailed design based on our award-winning concepts, mm-hmm. and uh, this is going to take probably about a year to get this into engineering workability, and then we're going to probably take about two years to construct it, uh, and then we'll be ready to fly. So yeah. we're shooting for 2018, maybe 2019. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Since we're not – since it's going to be an orbiter, you know, it's, it is unmanned. It's bet, the craft will be about eight feet, and it will fly – the intention is to fly it on a SpaceX booster as a secondary to, okay. to, a, to a larger payload. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. everybody that Sean and the group has reached out to and, – and I should say, we, we skipped right over this. You know the moment in court-martial when, <laughs> when they have the uh, computer play Kirk's record – Yes. And he starts reeling off all of his, you know, Prantary's award of yes. commendation and the you know, <laughs> order attack. Okay, and then they stop it, and and uh, what's his name says uh, Cogley says, no, let's let the whole record run off. Yes, that's oh, what yeah. we do with we're listing off Fred's resume because he's he's. Been <laughs> oh. Well, say it, Fred. Go yeah, on, let's hear start it. With, start with Skylab and come forward, Fred. <laughs> well, yeah, basically, I've been interested in space. This is about my fiftieth year of being interested in space, and I've pretty much done whatever I could um, all the time to get to get going with space things. So um, um, when I got out of college, I, I finally found a way into NASA, and I joined the Johnson Space Center and worked on the space shuttle for one year before the first shuttle flight. So I was part of the mission control backroom teams there for the very first shuttle launch, and I worked for several shuttle launches. And then after several years, I moved to the space station, worked on that, and then um, worked on the program, not the station itself. <laughs> yeah, the space station program. That's right. You didn't, they didn't yeah. let you move to oh, the space. Station. Man, I was going to be yeah. like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course I did apply for astronaut twice. Once before, I was not even old enough. Anyway, I just did what I could. <laughs> but oh, that's uh, great. then I worked on unmanned um, spacecraft, the Spitzer Space Telescope, and the Gravity Probe B, which were just some amazing technology programs. Um, like the Spitzer Space Telescope was cooled by liquid helium to be able to see. And the Gravity Probe B was this amazing physics satellite that tested Einstein's theories with these amazingly exact spherical spinning gyros things. It was just incredible um, how accurate that whole thing was. And um, then I worked on um, at Kennedy Space Center in Florida on um, unmanned launch vehicles like the Delta and the Atlas V and everything down there, a little bit of Falcon 9 even early on. 
So um, I've been all over NASA centers now. And what's just about to hit finally hit its target? That's right. I was part of the the uh, the launch certification team for the Pluto New Horizons, which is oh, wow. about to get there finally. So this was um, launched about 10 years ago, a really cool launch, because they took our most powerful unmanned rocket and they put like the smallest possible payload on top of it. And the chief engineer on that mission called the spacecraft itself the hood ornament on the rocket. <laughs> <laughs> and it was launched, it was an Atlas V heavy with all the boosters added that you could. And it, it was so fast that this New Horizons flew past the moon in four hours. Fastest thing we've ever launched. Jeez. Wow. And even at that speed, it still takes 10 years to get to Pluto. Yeah. But, it, but it, three out, four, would you say four I, I didn't Yes. Four yeah, hours? Just, when, when an Apollo would take what, three days? Three days, that's right. That's amazing. So yeah, it was just it was escape velocity plus. Right? That was ten years ago. You yeah. can imagine what they've got now. <laughs> yeah, it just takes power. Right? Speaking speaking of which, um, uh, Fred for the um, for the so enterprise that's, Fred, that's Fred's on. resume. <laughs> <laughs> He's a whole lot smarter than us. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Just working hard on me. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Interested. Um, in regards to the the enterprise that, that you're working on putting into orbit, what is the estimated amount of time that it will actually be up there? We're we're we got various thoughts on that, but we're thinking two weeks minimum, mm-hmm. and um, maybe two months. Um, it depends on budget, and what we raise, and what we bring. Oh, in. okay. Yeah. Yeah, because we have to pay right. for mission control, maintenance, and everything. And yeah. but uh, the longer the better, really, because you're up there, you can do things and. Every time you're up there, the students can be involved, you know, at various times and things. So, I'm two two weeks is our minimum, and maybe two months or more. Yeah, is this a type of vehicle that will be able to re-enter and relaunch, or is it a one-time? It could, yes, indeed. We're, we are planning to re, to uh, return the vehicle. It will. And, what uh, do you mean it could? It will. <laughs> yeah, That's to one, re- of the, one of the points. Yeah. Yeah. The current hope is to. Um, after we recover it, is to get all the science data and experiments distributed around and then put the vehicle into a museum where everyone can then go see it, plus give it a tour at conferences, science fiction conventions, and so forth, and, and as much as possible, get people to see this. Yeah. Well, here's the, here's the deal, guys. Uh, it's, it's like $40 million, although it's going to come down probably, hopefully, by the, in five years before we launch. But... Uh, Sean's idea, and everybody's on board with this, and it's one of the appeals to me, is um, not to have it – I mean it would be great if somebody walked along, a millionaire or a government came along and said, bang, here's $40 million. That would be great, but rather than seek that out at first, he's really trying to have it be crowdfunded. It's just going to be one of the hugest crowdfunding things ever. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's way bigger than a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or anything like that. I mean we're just now getting up to maybe million-dollar you know, projects like Axonar was just nearly a million on their co- – or, cro- or getting close to it. So that blows people away, except Sean's take on it is his little line is he says, nope. Um, and, and everything about this is global. It's not just America. The, mm-hmm. the crowdfunding, the design contest was open. All Anything that's open to the future, the education project submissions are going to be for K through postgrad people all over the world. Um, that's part of the education department's, you know, they've, that's their uphill uh, climb to get that out as much as we can. But uh, Sean's line for this was, hey, two million people give 20 bucks and we're there. Right. Yeah. That, and that's not, that's not really that difficult to uh, 
to 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 grasp. I mean, that seems pretty simple when you think yeah. about it in those terms. Yeah. Now we're still mm-hmm. pursuing, you know, grants and and foundational things and entrepreneurs giving money and individual people can do more than 20 and and when they do they go to the enterpriseinspace.org site you put your 20 or whatever in and right then you can download a certificate that says you're a virtual crew member but that's not just a certificate because what actually happened what Fred started to say was that everybody that donates whatever amount from 20 on up your name goes on a microchip that flies so that you were indeed aboard the first enterprise in space. And when it comes back, when you go see it at its tour stop or you go see it at its final resting place, which we started talking to the Smithsonian Air and Space off the bat for this. Right yeah. next to um, the Enterprise, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other, the real, which yeah. is the real. One's first and one's the real one. <laughs> That's right. But, but you can see your name yeah. and you can give it in, in honor of it. And we're a 501c3, so for Americans, it's tax deductible. Oh, great. Now, <clears throat> I know we're going to we were going to talk about this later, but we might as well bring it out there now since we're talking about it. Where can folks go to read up a, more on the project, to donate, uh, any information that they need to get on the project? Okay, y'all do it. That, that's enterpriseinspace.org. It's uh, just the three words, enterpriseinspace, one word, dot org. Yep, and you can see the donation. You can see the volunteer page, which is also – Really important because we need everybody from um, people with, you know, uh, skills, professional level skills they want to donate, like marketing, legal, uh, you know, social media, you know, tech, all that, down to uh, people that want to help us with social media from, you know, from wherever they are in the world, uh, just with our Twitter and our Facebook and maybe our Instagram and all that kind of thing, down to people who will uh, just in their neighborhood either go down and talk to, you know, um, sci-fi conventions or space conferences or educational groups, uh, c- local civic groups, anybody, because mm-hmm. we're really trying to are really trying to make this a grassroots effort. And even if you're not a public speaker, just somebody that will take flyers by a con and drop them off, or you know, or whatever, or whatever kind of meeting. The the education department, which Lynn Zielinski is our education superstar. She's she's like Fred. She's got a list of resumes that. Um, Ariel Shaw would want to cut off also uh, before Cogley cuts her off. And, uh, and she uh, – led by the fact she was NASA's only two-time educator of the year. Uh, she taught physics for 30 years. She has overseen students' projects going on the shuttle and going on launch vehicles already. So she's yeah. been around the, been around the block a couple of times with this. And she's got – putting a team together, and they're attacking this – Getting information out, getting curricula out, getting stuff online, and getting the word out so that we have they're, – they're really emphasizing not just STEM but STEAM, science, technology, uh, engineering, arts, and math, mm-hmm. and yeah. having it be little kids up to postgrads. And so you don't have to be the science geek or the science brain in, the, you know, in post-physics or whatever, pre-physics. You can be – they've got ideas for arts and music and the humanities as well as everything, but – it's also going to put them up there for free, unlike a lot of private contests where you win and then you have to pay your own way. So, you know. And they've, yeah, they've also got an education program to uh, the teachers can apply for, and they've got all these yes. training for teachers to have classroom programs going and um, get these experiments underway. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to attack that through, not attack, they're going to spread that word through, uh, <laughs> I don't know, when you're passionate, sometimes <laughs> it looks like you're attacking. <laughs> 
Spread that huh. word like the teacher organization, like the national teachers conventions and the science teachers conventions and all that. So they're going to attack it. That. But it's not just for kids in classrooms. We're, we're trying to come up with uh, public – just public in general outreach because I don't know about you guys. But another attraction of this for me is there's times it almost feels like there's, <laughs> there's parts of today's society that want to like go backwards on our intelligence and our, you know, rationality. No, no, no. I know. <laughs> so not that it's a big overt message, but I just kind of like this as one little, you know, like, yes, like planning a flag for, for looking to the future and, and making sure our kids are ready wherever they are in the world. Right. And make you sure know. they know this stuff is cool. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It really is. And the contests are actually for grade schools and high schools and college level. So um, all, all kinds of education happening with this project. Do we know what the selection process will be like for the experiments that make it into space? I don't know. Nope. Okay. <laughs> You're not talking yeah. to the education. I do know they're going to do it over phases. They're not going to do everything in one uh-huh. big lump. And they, they were racing to try to get material out to teachers this spring, but they decided that's kind of a – a tall order. So they're focusing now on next spring, but I know that they're talking about yeah. having like one year of phase phases and then an extra, another year, I say competition, but a submission cycle and have some name then, and then have another year go by and have some more, be able to submit and have then. And, yeah. and, you know, everything from act, like, uh, ones that don't need power to ones that need power, some really complex, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, grad school, post-grad level things to the simpler things. But, um, have some be physically small, some be physical. They're also going to try to have some be uh, tethered that will pop out and fly behind. Oh, great. And some yeah. that may even are – they, are they talking separate? I, I keep hearing her use that phrase. Um, We're considering that, yeah, having some free flyers. Free flyers, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then they would, they would come back. They would be yeah. retrieved. Wow, and that has to all be I don't think that they, has to all be developed in the project yeah. itself since it's going to be unmanned. That's quite an undertaking. That's amazing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Now I do believe there is something, some kind of judging with judges involved in the winning of these contests. Right, so we'll right. We'll probably right. have celebrity yeah. academic judges or something. Speaking yeah. of uh, celebrities, gentlemen, has there been a uh, a big uh, recognition from the celebrity world uh, for this project? Particularly anybody involved in any of the science fiction genres that we love so much. Right. Well, we're we're since since part of the inspiration of this is is. Sean started off with was all you know Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry and mm-hmm. the Enterprises, but uh, you know across the board Asimov and Heinlein and our you know uh, real world space pioneers like uh, Goddard and um, um, and von Braun and, and everybody on both yeah. sides because I my phrase is always that NASA and in, in our country anyway NASA and Star Trek is this mutual love society where the astronauts and and, and controllers come to the sets. And they, you know, and then the actors and the directors yeah. and writers go, "We love you more." And they go, "No, we love you more. No, we love you more." <laughs> and you know, exactly, you're always yeah. from the '60s. You see, you know, you see Jimmy, and you see uh, there's a there's that picture that's making rounds again where the guys they're actually launching the Mariner Five to Mars, and it's two guys sitting at their mission control things with big pointed ears over their ears, and it's 1967. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? So anyway, but yeah. Um, uh, we've so we've got so Buzz Aldrin, Nichelle, uh, Walter. Um, I'm name dropping, I guess. Walter Koenig, Nichelle Nichols, uh, Hugh Downs, who covered space as a newsman for ages. We just started this end of it like in October, November, so right for the holidays, and we're okay. cranking it up. Uh, John Billingsley. Um, we're adding people all the time, and as the convention yeah. season gets going, we're gonna we're gonna add some more too. But um, 
but yeah, that's coming. We've got some up and more kind of Rod Roddenberry and Rod gave us a very nice gift. Um, so yeah, it's coming and we'll branch out to some of the other, you know, it's, it's honoring the name enterprise, but we're not just, you know, Ooh, Star Trek. So right. we're reaching out to some right. of the other fandoms and, yep. and franchises too. And, and the real science and the real technology community too. So having buzz in your corner to start with was a nice, well, yeah, that little, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good plug right there. Yeah. <laughs> so how does the orbiter make it back? Yeah, this is a trade study. We haven't, uh, totally determined this yet. Um, so yeah, there's lots of options with you know a regular heat shield on the vehicle itself is the first obvious thing, but also we might deploy some various types of um, shields that could then protect it, and we might also just try this thing called a uh, balut where you eject this balloot. big balloon behind you and it just drags you down slowly, and then there's combinations of all of the above. So we'll see. It's to be what decided. Is, what, yeah, one of the things they are that are. Yeah. Yeah, I found that set out too. A balut is a combination balloon and parachute. So it's like a balloon, but it's a drag mm-hmm. as you come back. And of course, it's made out of a. I mean, it's like we've we've gone from the old flat bot or you know blunt bottom space capsules like the Mercury and Gemini and Apollos to the tiles on the shuttle, and now they what Fred? They you can it's almost like like a dipping a dipping a banana in chocolate or an ice cream in chocolate. It's like you you literally whatever your shape is, you coat it with the the heat shielding material, right? And it's form fitted is one option now. Right? Yeah, that's what I believe SpaceX is using this on their their new vehicles. So we might ask to use some of that material. It's all up up for to study to study right now. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So we've got time to decide that. And and the other crazy uh-huh. thing about this is uh, totally apart from the intention of putting the student experiments up, once the word got out, we've had people who are developing aerospace and different technologies who are stuck in a catch-22 of they want to get a contract to fly, but they can't fly until they've flown. <laughs> they can't get a contract till they've flown. They can't fly till they get a contract. So they're seeing us as like a test bed. And we've had a group uh, called uh, Virtual Spring that's developing a thing. They had already called it the Enterprise Mind, but it's like a cognitive computer that talks and interacts and learns, not just on a Siri level, but like way above, like getting close to Majel and the L-Cars. On the Enterprise. Yeah, so this, and they called yeah, it that, e- Enterprise yeah. or E-Mind, and they came to us, right? But Fred can tell you where Yeah, I was going to say, that, that is a whole other purpose for this project. Um, so there's the bridging of the science fiction and the space. There's the educational experiments, and the more the better on that. But also the ship itself looks like we might be able to do you know, one or more new technology experiments, so real, real advancements for humanity here. That's yep. amazing. So, the, so the, uh, the the reentry would be another whatever we decide on doing with the reentry. That's why it's being studied. Is is like what what we may be able to test some. Yes. Not not test there. it where it's like we, we're going to lose the craft. Hopefully, <laughs> but uh, yeah, NASA's be been able to, NASA's been uh, testing new things right now. NASA may use us as a test bed as well here. So we'll see. So, what are the dimensions of the craft? For... Yeah, it's about eight feet long, and then it's like maybe. Six feet wide, maybe four or five feet tall. Oh wow! And have you you can you can see you can all go to enterpriseinspace.org. You can see a picture of it, and uh, pretty cool looking ship. A young guy designed we had, it. We had a we had a contest for three months, and it was open to everybody over the country or over the world, I should say. And they wanted everybody from engineers to you know sci-fi designers, CGI artists, kids, everybody, and. Um, 
the guy that wound up winning it was a guy he started off in school in, in physics and astronomy. He came from an artist family, decided he was fighting his DNA and gave up. And he, he enjoyed it, but he was not a number cruncher, even though he wished he was. But he had the head for it, and he came back and went to art school and CGI and, and technology and then worked in um, – Worked in film in Hollywood for a while, and then he worked. Now he works at a game company, and his he designed it. His name's Stanley von Medley, and uh, he uh, he lives up in the oh, Silicon Med Valley v. area. Med V, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've only interviewed him twice. You would think I've. Oh. Uh, but he uh, he designed it. We were talking, and I started saying he was talking about oh, for 150 people, and these two gravity rings will rotate oppositely to create the gravity and here's the bridge made out of this green clear metallic material and I'm like wait 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 are we talking about our little 8 foot orbiter are you talking about 100 he's like no 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 I I designed it as if it was a ship for 150 people in yeah. near space which is cool so now when you look at it it's not just a I mean it has this cool design aesthetic and it's it's blocky so that it's got volume you can get our 100 plus experiments in it but it's still a very cool design uh -huh. What yeah, the think, notion Fred? also, yeah, the notion of the ship is that it is one of the the Star Trek type warp drive ships with the, all the cool, you know, futuristic propulsion. But of course, it's just a regular technology of today's ship. But I'm just kind of hoping that some scientists may be inspired by this to start working more on Star Trek propulsion or something. Who knows, right? This is why we do such things. It sounds like it would be the perfect size ship for a little miniature Clint Howard from the Corbinite Maneuver. <laughs> okay, make it so. <laughs> and now the trunk. <laughs> yeah, it's a very cool looking ship. Though. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's what's on our it, front page over there when you go to see. What's it going to be constructed out of? That's what I'm wondering. Oh, probably like just standard metals, you know, aluminum, titanium, uh, plus... The, the exotic stuff will, of course, be on the heat shield if it's there. And um, we also are going to have some, like, I, we have an idea where we're going to have, like, an iPhone in one of the windows in the ship facing outwards. And then the iPhone will display uh, crew members' pictures and take pictures of it from outside. And we'll beam these pictures down, like, nonstop so everybody can see their own photos from space with Earth in the background and everything. That's great. So. Stuff like that. We, we want to make sure we've got that handled, but it's very doable to have a tethered camera shooting back and well, like one by one people's pick, like for another tier. If we ever want to add to the basic yeah. $20 crew member, maybe $100, you do that and yeah. your picture is looking out the portal captured from space with, yeah. That's <laughs> pretty cool. Might have to do that by recording, but hopefully we can do that in, in real time. So we'll see. Hope That's to have a real time video downlink. Yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> I'm in. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, it's like a movie ticket and a Coke or a two you lattes know, or something. It's funny you said that, Larry, because when you were talking about the two million people to donate $20, I was thinking, you know what? If anybody who's going to go see the opening weekend of whatever, the Avengers movie, if every one of those people just donate the cost to go to the movie, you'd be able to launch three or four of these things. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Um, we are going to put this. I like the way you think. <laughs> Yet, yeah, back to the another earlier question about uh, can the ship be reused? It actually could be reused, but we just kind of want to have it in a museum. But we we are thinking of uh, doing this again. You know, if this all works, you know, why not just keep doing this, flying more and more ships? I see, I see the Enterprise A 
B, C. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, I know maybe we should thing. avoid confusion and just like jump to, you know, K or something. And... <laughs> okay, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So 2018, is, is, is that the, you said that's the target date? Yeah, 2018, 2019, may, somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, since we're, since we're just orbiting, we don't have to worry about like planetary, you know, orbits or getting a gravity assist around Mars to go on to Jupiter yeah. or something. You know, we're, we're just, I don't want to say it's, it's not rocket science, haha, but it's, this is pretty, really pretty all off the shelf. Aside from the things we're going to be testing, just getting it up there and down is not, you know, it's not totally out there, right, right, Fred? That's right. It's all it's stuff that we kind of know how to do these days, but we never inspired people to design something just for visuals, science fiction, so forth. Yeah, yep. with with this with this grassroots goal, and then and then giving you yeah. know hundred more than hundred students a boost like this, and uh, and making people feel good. But, you know, it's like there's so many people that uh, they love Star Trek or they love space travel, and they wish they could be an astronaut because. You know, it's like everything else. Right now, we're at the front edge of the exploration wave. Like, you know, when you settled, when the guys first left Europe to sail around, the, or wherever they came from, say, go sailing. They had to be sailors and know the seas and boats. Or when the settlers went across, you had scouts, you know, like one man, one woman bands, you know, going out. And it was, in the, but eventually, you had the waves of the settlers and the townspeople, and then you know, civilization and culture came up. You know, like. So it's going to be that way, but eventually, even if you're not in science or physics or you don't work on rockets, everybody wishes they could go into space right now. So here's a way, you know, virtually people can literally go and feel good. And if they and if they were a Star Trek or a big sci-fi fan, so much the better. I totally agree. I, I think this is a fantastic project. Yeah. Um, I certainly hope that you know one or both of you will come back and give us updates as the project goes on. Um, because I can't wait to hear more about it as it gets closer to the the launch date in the future, um, and hopefully we haven't scared both to. of you off. Yep, yep. And I tell you what, if we get Sean or we get Lynn or some of our other people, we have we have project manager Alice Hoffman, who uh, is the, responsible with like just making the grid, you know, and the flowchart, uh, pretty big flowchart. Uh, she, her resume, she has overseen tons of projects. She oversaw the expansion of Soldier Field in Chicago where the Bears play. She, $8 billion expansion of O'Hare Airport, she was the project manager for. So we've got some real, you know, Fred and Lynn and, and Alice and some other, more people than that and people coming aboard. Uh, amazing team of people to make this, make this actually happen. We just needed everybody to jump in and, and be our little virtual crew members, and then and then help us out with spreading the word, you know, locally or or whatever they're able to do. They can sit right at home and not have to get in front of public and help us out with stuff. So, you know, that's fantastic. We're, we're, and and Larry, I, did, I believe yeah. you mentioned at the beginning of the uh, of the interview, or, or possibly Fred, um, you've raised approximately one million right now. Is that what you said? Uh, no, we're just starting out. Have, okay, have okay, I misunderstood. Yeah, that. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we're working on the first hundred thousand, but we're getting people out. We've got leads out to some of our grants that we're working on too. Mm-hmm. It's just we didn't we didn't come out with a big PR splash like like happens, but um, kind of like the X Prize uh, project with the Tricorder, they kind of started off very quietly and then built and built and built. Mm-hmm. And we're do- we're doing this on low budget too, so it's not like we could throw a ton of money at people or at media. Right. So we're ro- it's been kind of a rolling launch and we keep attract but we keep attracting people and projects here about us and want to partner with us and 
um, it's it's set up to where you know we have a five year window that's that's uh, we just need to get the first hundred thousand to get the plans done for the craft. There's a company called um, SpaceWorks that's going to do the actual fabrication of the uh, of the craft of the orbiter of the Enterprise, and Fred work will work with them because it has to fit in the cone and it has to fit in the rocket and has to re-enter and mm-hmm. and all that. Oh yeah, it's going to fit in like the trunk behind the Dragon capsule on a SpaceX launch, perhaps. Is what we're envisioning. Yep. Excellent. Huh. Well, um, the yep. website is enterpriseinspace.org, and we want people to go there and become virtual crew members. Is that right, Larry? Yes. 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 And um, I I sincerely thank both of you guys for coming on the podcast and telling us about it, and we hope to have you back very very soon. Thank That's you great, so much guys. for having thanks. us. Yep, thanks. And like I said, maybe we can get some of the rest of the team on occasionally. And um, and boy, I would love to come back and keep talking track with you guys, even apart from this. Whenever you guys sound great, and uh, you know, good luck now that you've gotten launched, and uh, all good things. Oh, well, we appreciate it. It is it is certainly an honor and a privilege to have you on, Larry. Uh, you're so um, you're such a a foundation of the entire Star Trek universe, and and all of your writings, and <laughs> and and as McCoy we talked about earlier. And for those of you who want to check him out, watch the final episode of Enterprise, and you will see him there wearing that <laughs> supposed Avery Brooks suit. It's fantastic stuff. I uh, want to thank you both very much for coming on. We really appreciate the time tonight. Thank you. And hey, tags don't, don't lie. <laughs> and we'd really like to thank Larry and Fred for being a part of the show today. Um, in our haste to, to wrap up with them, we totally forgot to ask where you can find them on social media. So we thought we'd take a couple of minutes to mention that right now. Of course, for Larry, um, you can find him at LarryNemechek.com and also TrekLandBlog.com. On Twitter, you can find him at Larry Nemechek. And also on Facebook, you can look for Larry Nemechek's Trekland. I can tell you from following that page, he's got all kinds of eBay auctions that run all the time with special Star Trek memorabilia. And um, there's always a gem in there, so you should really follow that page. Uh, For Enterprise in Space, um, you can follow them on Facebook at Enterprise in Space, or on Twitter, you can find them at Enterprise Sat. That's Enterprise S-A-T on Twitter. Um, Dan, why don't you tell everybody how they can find us? Absolutely. And I would also like to add before we get into that, that we are both now virtual crew members of the Enterprise in Space project. And anybody that wants to... uh, Become a virtual crew member can go to their website and uh, do a small donation, and they too can be a virtual crew member, which is pretty exciting stuff. Very true. Enterpriseinspace.org. Yep, absolutely. Uh, For us, uh, as you may have heard from our last podcast, we now have a phone number that you can call into if you want to leave us any voicemail, and that's area code 508-784-1701. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekgeeks. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, the Trek Geeks is at Trek Geeks. And individually, you can find Bill at Trek Geek Bill. And I can be found at at DCDDS9. Uh, also, uh, if you want to talk to us on Skype, you can just do a search for us on uh, Trek Geeks. Simple, straightforward. Um, and also, we have email. I mean, there's all kinds of communication. Dan at TrekGeeks.com. Bill at TrekGeeks.com and TrekGeeks at Starfleet.com. Uh, just remember that any comments that you uh, send us or leave us on voicemail can and probably will be used in future episodes. 
and they won't even be held against you in a court of law, which is the beautiful part, too. That's uh, right. And if they are going to be used, we're getting Samuel Cogley on the phone, and we're going to get that taken care of. <laughs> we'd also like to ask that for those of you who download the show using iTunes, uh, we'd truly appreciate if you could take the time and go in and give us a rating and a review on iTunes. It will help other people find the show, and it will, uh, will help us grow this podcast as we move forward. Uh, we truly would appreciate that. We'd also like to thank Five Year Mission, of course. Yes. Um, without them, we wouldn't have the great uh, intro and outro for the show. You can find their music online at fiveyearmission.net. Awesome. we got some good stuff coming up in future episodes. We can't wait to uh, get it out to you, and uh, we appreciate the support, and we look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. I just hit record, and of course, the first thing that happens as soon as I hit record is you going. I like how it would get like higher. You're gonna. I'm gonna faint from the coughing so much. The cough laugh is tough. Oh, this thing is killing me. Yeah, this phage sucks. It does. Let me um, turn do my... the Neelix face and get shot in the lungs. <laughs> <laughs> We've got, we're going to have outcasts for multiple episodes. Yes. Outcasts? Are you uh, banning me? Uh, uh, <laughs> drink. <laughs> Ready when you are, Chief. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. Charcuterie. Charcuterie. Versilimitude. What? Regurgitation. (laughs) Xenopolycythemia. There you go. That's what I was waiting for you to say. All right, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Three, two, one. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> you know how they say you shouldn't see things like sausage being made? It's a good thing nobody can see how this podcast is made. <laughs> uh, too bad we don't like our work. I wish this were work. Are you kidding me? Oh, gosh, yeah. All right. Here we go. For real. <laughs> the lips that keep the tip of the tongue. Okay. Three. Stop it. Stop it. All right.
I feel like Chris Pine in the in the JJ movie. Stop it. <laughs> Three, two, one.